Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Life is actually through an experience of death and the people who are willing to do that, like you said, in the hero's journey, like over and over and over again, and to stand in their own integrity without, like really it's, you know, again, sort of the, a different way to say it from what we've been talking about is that like, You've got nothing to prove when you realize that all of life is a gift. The whole thing, nature operates on gift. Um, you've been given gifts to give. And when you don't give those, you're sort of constricting that flow. All things that you need are gifted toward you also. And when you realize that you live in a universe that's built on gift, you don't really have anything to prove. You get to just live a life of aliveness and joy and connection and peace that's very different than if you just keep scrambling and crawling your way to, to avoid the pain and darkness and shadow side of all the things that make you feel like you have absolutely anything to prove in this world. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Brandy, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I found out about you because you wrote in and I remember, you know, as we were just talking about before we hit record, looking at your trailer and thinking, okay, there's something about this that I can't quite explain that makes me want to talk to you. But then I was just <laughs> listening to, you know, the early part of one of your episodes with a freestyle rapper. And I thought to myself, mm. if there's a, somebody who can figure out how to connect race relations philosophy and freestyle rap into a conversation that is somebody that i want to talk to uh, yeah. but before we get into all of that um as you know from having heard the show i'm gonna ask you questions that have absolutely nothing to do with your work Love it. what social group were you a part of in high school and <laughs> what impact did that end up having on what you've ended up doing with your life and career yeah, it's funny. I was listening to one of your other episodes recently and uh, heard you ask the same question. I was like, wow, what a fascinating question. I think I was, I would describe myself as, yeah, not in with a popular crowd, but yeah, not totally separate. Like I could make friends with a lot of people pretty easily, but in terms of my like solid group of friends, I'd call us like the emo kids, you know, like no. um, kind of weird. Uh, and maybe folks who saw some of the darker parts of life and we're struggling with what that looked like and, you know, struggling to get through high school in a way that felt 
joyfully connected, but not just not really in with the in crowd, but you know, a deep love for each other. And what, what was your like sort of biggest personal struggle in high school? Oh man. Yeah. I mean, I think the honest personal answer is I was having a lot of trouble at home. I think, um, I grew up with an alcoholic parent and, um, or a parent who was struggling with alcoholism and, uh, you know, it was tough at home and like my parents were having a hard time. I was an only child. And so I think school became a place where, I sort of learned to put on a lot of masks and just sort of pretend like everything was okay and, uh, you know, do what I could to sort of remain afloat. And so that was like, I was one of those kids I'm sure that showed up in class and was like really smart. Like, you know, I think you, you never would have known something was going on under the surface, but some deeper stuff was going on. And, um, so probably struggling with that. And I think, you know, finding people who were able to, hang with that, you know? And I think that's been a part of my story for a lot of my life is mm-hmm. who, who can hang with, um, you know, the like dark underside and shadowy side of life and also not have it like completely consume them. And, you know, I think the not completely consume me came like later in my maturity, but in high school, I think that was still, you know, who, who's able to like engage in truth and honesty and not something that feels like we're all just playing show to try to win favor, but like actually being real and honest with each other. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, when you're that young and you're having to basically put on, you know, masks at school and put on this game face of, oh, everything is okay. I'm smart. Life is great. And then, you know, on at home, you have this sort of uh, polar opposite experience. I mean, how in the world do you have those two worlds coexist without losing your fucking mind? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty difficult. And I and I think that's even at 40 going on 41, I still you know, I'm sure this will come up a lot cuz it's where I'm at right now. Um, but like I th- I think that's still something that I'm struggling with is that like a learned existence of um sort of, you know, it's like a, the, your typical sort of people-pleasing story. Like there were a lot of like not great sort of um coping behaviors that I learned from that and, you know, it, they did help me survive then. And mm-hmm. it, it did feel like the only way I could survive. Now it feels like a maladaptation, you know? And so now I think I'm like even part of launching the podcast and writing, um, you know, all the things that I write is a lot about me actually finally being willing to tell the ugly things, to grapple with complexity and nuance and paradox, to um, show that I'm not like perfect, that there's, you know, and, and hopefully in sort of displaying that, that it's, uh, it resonates with other people so that it opens them up and liberates them to do that as well. But I, yeah, I, um, I think it was how I survived and now it feels untenable and, or, you know, I think for the last like five to seven years has been pretty untenable and I've been working my way toward, uh, what it means to actually live a life of like full, you know, I think I'm a person who stands in their integrity pretty well and can't sort of sustain lying. But when it comes to like really fully telling the hard, ugly things, it's still a thing I'm practicing. So, yeah. I mean, I think the short answer is it's not survivable. Um, mm. I, I think when you're younger, those things are how you survive. But eventually when we become adults, it's it's not actually survivable. I think we actually have to grapple with that. 
Yeah. You know, when you talk about coping mechanisms, I, I think of my own coping mechanisms in some of the most difficult and dark times of my life. And it was always figuring out ways that I could numb whatever I was feeling. Yeah. Now, um, whether it's heartbreak, whether it's failure, it was just like, all right, I'm going to go smoke a cigarette or, you know, go drink. Yeah. And, yeah. and those are my coping mechanisms. I'm curious. One, what were yours? But more importantly, like, why is it that we struggle so much to actually live with this sort of darker side of ourselves and do whatever we can to suppress it? Uh, because it seems to me like yeah. letting it out is the only key to letting it go. Yeah. And I, it's funny because I was thinking about, I'm, I'm going to like skip ahead. So you'll, you'll force me here to answer it differently when you ask me at the end of the interview. But um, part of what I was thinking about in terms of what makes people unmistakable is I think we have a really deep um, aversion to death in our culture. And I think in people in general, so much so that we're afraid to actually live. And I think that's, that doesn't just mean like an actual physical death. I think most of life is, um, or at least a lot of early life is allowing ourselves to actually die in a lot of ways. That's identity. It's ego. It's, um, you know, letting go of the things that we do that do protect us. I loved the your interview with El Luna. She quotes something from Joseph Campbell where she says, um, or he says that if you think you're falling, dive. Mm. And I thought that was so powerful and profound because I think anytime any of us feel like we're falling, our tendency is to just like scratch and claw with everything that we can to stop the fall. Mm -hmm. And I think the the people I love and respect and I'm drawn to most in the world are people who have um, actually allowed themselves to dive or like their tendency when they were feeling the fall was to dive more often than not because they were more interested in, in real healing than they were in sort of distraction and believing that they're okay, but actually continuing to, you know, use those distractions. And for me, you know, you partly asked at the beginning in there, like what my distractions are. And I think, I would currently say work, honestly. Yeah. I think um, I'm going through a moment right now that looks a lot like I've just been hearing a lot about the heroine's journey, interestingly enough, after quoting Joseph Campbell. Um, and heroine's journey, uh, I can't really quote it well, but I was hearing it on a podcast recently. And the person being interviewed was sort of recounting all the steps in the heroine's journey. And, um, a lot of those early on look like using the hero's journey, like the success, the, you know, accolades, the validation and all of those things in a way that, um, you know, feel like they're reaffirming your identity. But like, once you actually find those things and you're starting to get them, that there's something inside of you that tells you, wait, I'm dying though. Like this isn't, this just like still isn't working for me. And having to like collapse that and go into sort of another um, like dark night of the soul, I guess, and um, and grapple with those things. So, yeah, I think work and also just like relationships, like asking other people to fill me in ways that I haven't actually truly dealt with in terms of my like probably honestly like a parental wounding. Like I think we all have them in various ways. And yeah. for me, that's um, not getting the needs met when I was a child, no blame on my parents at this point, like just really dealing with that in a mature way, but like really honestly seeing the way that I've operated in the world that actually is when I'm fully honest, uh, something where I keep asking other things to fill a hole in me that should have been filled early on, but won't ever until I, 
actually realize that the universe is for me and I don't have to fill that with other people or work in general. Mm. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I mean, I've definitely turned to work as a coping mechanism, but um, you, when you were talking about the dark night of the soul, I'm working on outlining this new narrative episode where we're basically putting together a bunch of clips for, you know, sort of your hero's journey to wisdom. Mm-hmm. And when you said that, I just it, like that, the graphic of, of this, you know, hero's journey flashed in my head. I'm like, wait a minute, there's no exit to the mm-hmm. journey. It's circular. Like you keep going back through it over and over yeah. again. Yeah. It's repeated. Yeah. It just, that literally never occurred to me until this moment that like, your hero's journey never comes to an end. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, yeah. I was hearing the interviewer of that podcast also just say like, you know, I, I also realized that every time I take on a new work project, it's me and my new like hero's journey and I'm creating a container for the next phase of healing. And mm. I think that's super real. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that capacity to dive when you're falling. Um, you know, like you said, some people grasp. I think some people are just pushed over the cliff and have no choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like I think I, I, I definitely have felt that. It was just like I've been fired from every job, so you know, I, yeah. I'm I'm being pushed off this cliff, whether I want to be you know down it or not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, then there are those people who, like you said, will grasp. And how do you bridge the gap between your ability to grasp and the ability to die? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Ooh, yeah, I don't know. I guess my my current answer would probably be um, just from my own experience. I've been uh, doing a lot of somatic work and somatic like sort of trauma healing. And I realized basically at some point that, I, you know, I've lived most of my existence in my brain and I think, I think that's also sort of the masculine hero's journey. Like we'll think our way to success and think our way to um, victory or whatever. But um, we've chopped off the other incredibly intuitive, extremely smart, well-adapted thing that we have in our um, toolbox, which is our bodies. And um, it was like for years I've known that this was a problem and I've worked on it in various ways, but what I've realized is that despite the fact that I know what's real and where I want to be and who I want to be, my body is so caught in a sort of trauma pattern that looks like waking up every day and doing routine and just like forcing my way through everything. And I think that's part of why it's so fascinating to me, because I think if you're going to ask sort of what my whole jam is in the world, it's talking about the idea of aliveness um, you know, sort of through the lens of complexity and nuance and paradox and those things. But I think aliveness is it. And, you know, I think part of the reason for that is because, you know, it feels, yeah, like death when you're just sort of living someone else's life and you're forcing yourself to wake up every day and do things you think you should do, which is part of why I love that El Luna episodes, you know, the crossroads of should and must. And, you know, sometimes we get pushed off and sometimes we have to make the choice. And I think often we don't make that choice until it does become so untenable that it's impossible to live that way any longer. And I think that is also part of the heroine's journey story arc. But yeah, I, I guess I, I've started practicing what it is to feel safe in my own body because I realized that part of why I'm in that sort of loop where I feel like I'm forcing everything is that my body just doesn't actually feel safe. And so I keep, even if it's existentially or esoterically or, um, you know, intangibly in some way grasping for other people to help or fill a hole that exists in me. Um, it's because like, I just, I don't feel safe in the world. And, um, I think that is true for a lot of us. And so I think it takes really smart people who can help sort of guide you through what it is to, feel safe in your body, um, for me at least to break that pattern. And so, yeah, I've been doing a lot of sort of somatic trauma healing and, you know, sort of breath work and other things that help calm my nervous system. Because once I do, I think, you know, I will actually be able to like 
move forward in a way that is more in my must instead of in my should, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's such an interesting way of putting it. I don't think I've ever heard anybody tell me they don't feel safe in the world. I mean, obviously, based on, you know, what you've told me about the environment you grew up in, it makes sense. Um, How... I mean, how does that play out? Like, how does that manifest then, you know, in your yeah. life post high school? Like what happened you know, to, yeah. to get you to hear? Yeah. I mean, I honestly think that that's a basis of a lot of our cultural reality right now is people who don't feel safe. Um, we don't like, I think there is a tone of hypervigilance that we think, and you know, this is part of what I talk about on my podcast also in terms of holding complexity and nuance is that we have largely created a world of black and whites because it feels safe. Like people are good or people are bad. And we, we have a hard time holding people who are both good and bad and all everything in between. And so, um, and I, and I think that manifests in a lot of ways also in terms of our identity groups and in terms of the work that we're willing to do and um, yeah, how we cut people out of our lives. And so, I mean, I think that has individually been how that has manifested for me also until recently um, that I have a tendency to, when I feel like someone is a threat to me and that does not mean they're like holding a knife at me, you know, it means like, does this person believe something that I don't believe? And does that mean it makes me unsafe because I will fall out with my own identity group? Does it mean, um, what does it say about me in the world if they believe something that I don't believe and, or, you know, have complex feelings about, and I'm still in relationship with them. And so, yeah, I think it's, um, it's manifested in sort of axing people out of my life until I got uh, sort of practice enough at holding that complexity. I think it has looked like, like I said, I think a primary one for me is just like, um, is yeah, filling my time, even though I'm a person who like, you know, feels like I operate out of my must or like a lot of my life has been about not doing the standard job, doing stuff only if it feels meaningful to me, et cetera, et cetera. But I do feel like there's been a portion of it for me where I felt like sort of just a leaf in the wind. Like if someone mentioned something or if I could find community doing something that these people were doing, I would just fall into that. And then two years later, I'd be like, wow, what just happened to my life? I don't feel fulfilled. I you know, am I just going to jump? I have to jump to something else. That's the next thing that someone else says is available to me instead of like actually, um, finally sort of doing something in my own real truth and taking the risk to, you know, this is where the like Julia Cameron's and the Steven Pressfields and everybody of the world and El Luna even, you know, just sort of speaking to, yeah, starting to see for me, actually, I mean, I think aliveness became, I talk about this a lot, like, um, or yeah, if, if you'll allow me just a second to sort of describe like the, there's a sensation actually with aliveness, um, that is the thing I'm searching for. That is my, my indicator of my must in the world. <laughs> and that is basically like, I can tell when I do things that I am energetically drained, like, and I can tell when I do other things that seem like I should be drained but I'm actually so full of energy by the time I'm done with them that I could like sprint around the city. (laughs) And that for me became a good indicator of what my must was. And that's actually a sense it's different than joy for me. Joy just feels sort of like a happiness or 
something, but, um, aliveness felt like, uh, a somatic tangible sensation where I was either depleted of energy or I was filled with energy. And so in terms of how it manifests in a bad way, in terms of, or, you know, bad's a judgment word, but you know what I mean? Um, it, it looks like me doing things without like actually seeing if my body is responding in a way that says yes, and just sort of forcing myself to do things that I think I should do. And so, yeah, I've, I'm learning to sort of use aliveness and the energetic response I have in my body to, to sort of be a compass toward the things that I should be doing, or I want to be doing, I guess is the better way to phrase that. Yeah. I think I answered your question somewhere in there. Yeah, no, no, you you (laughs) did. You did actually. I mean, and naturally, of course you, you raised a lot of other questions. I think that, you know, I, I appreciate, um, one, what you said about sort of, you know, filling this hole. And I came to this realization at point one point that we kind of talk about the societal definition of success as, you know, the nine to five job, you know, bullet points in a resume. And I realized at some point that what we thought was our own definition of success is we just traded that one in for, you know, the internet, you know, celebrities version of success where it's like, Oh, be the digital nomad work four hours a week. It's like, that is still not your personal definition of success. That's a definition of success definition that was handed to you by somebody, um, which you know, I think, you know, it's interesting you bring up like, you know, using all of this stuff to fill a void inside of us, right? Because yeah. I, I I see what you mean, because like I realized, you know, when I was younger, it was parental validation <clears throat> that I was, you know, trying to fill this void from. And I, I don't think yeah. that uh, Danielle Laporte told me, she's like, I don't think we ever, you know, stop feeling that we want our parents to be proud uh, of mm-hmm. what we're doing. I mean, I, I, I'd be lying if did to you if I still told you yeah. that I don't still feel I mean, feel that's a cultural need. thing for you too. Like that's yeah, just so ingrained much. in who you are, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but then, you know, the idea that it's, it, it is kind of a paradox, right? You're going into self-improvement or, you know, spiritual communities to heal yourself, to help yourself and to get better. And yet the irony or the paradox, of course, is that you're using that to fill yeah. the void. Yeah, um, yeah. How do you break that cycle? Because like that, that's one thing I <laughs> realized at a certain yeah. point was I'm like, okay, I think it was when I walked into the Boulder bookstore and I went upstairs. I think you know what section I'm talking about. And I was looking around in the self-improvement section. I'm like, why yep. the fuck do I feel like I've read every book every on this shelf? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't need anything here anymore. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a part of my sort of interesting recent story is that, um, you know, I've, I've dealt with chronic illness in various forms for <clears throat> the last like, um, at least 10 to 12 years. And so I've been on like a long hunt to sort of see how I can, I can get at the root causes of those, um, illnesses and, or the symptomatic experience of what I feel every day of my life and largely like fatigue, brain fog, um, thyroid issues, gut problems, a lot of things that are actually present in common culture right now also. But, um, I have like really felt at a very strong level for over a decade and, very recently, um, I sort of, you know, this, uh, local group of friends that I have here, someone in that group also has experienced chronic illness for a really long time. And she stumbled upon something that felt like it might be a pretty decent root cause to throw some real effort behind. And so I did a thing, which was, uh, I had owned a house in Denver for six years and I decided to sell it in order to what I call save my life, which was, um, sort of for the first time ever really like putting all of my full force behind healing and also like really, truly doing this, like writing and podcast work, um, like more of my purpose work for the first time in my life and sort of doing it full time or 
just really taking this year off. I sold the house. I'm renting for a year. And I was like, I'm just going to heal. And I'm just going to do work. that's important to me. And it was interesting because as soon as I got that money from the house sale and I had a chance like I'd never had before, you know, I think I'm sure you resonate with this, but I spent a lot of my career as someone who, you know, either gets, I I don't know, I think I've been fired once, but it was from like a religious institution uh, or college that didn't want me in their marketing department anymore because I was too, um, (laughs) I was too outspoken. Um, I asked, I asked too many questions, but other than that, um, yeah, I've, I've mostly just chosen to do, like, I've been a freelancer. Like I, I do work generally that brings me mostly, you know, a lot of joy, but also mostly doing it to keep me financed. And yeah, it was the first time that I really was like, I'm actually going to do the thing that feels like if I don't do this before I die, I would feel really disappointed with myself and try my own artistic path. And instead of like supporting other people's artistic artistic path, because I, I basically realized at some point that I had wound up sort of second in line to every company I ever worked for. So I was like the right hand person to the person at the top. And at some point, like a few years in, every time I would get to know the company enough that I think I'd, I could do it better, which is both arrogant and also just an indicator that I should be doing my own thing. And so this was the first time, though, that I was like, OK, it just takes a lot of bravery to actually be the fall guy, like to be the person at the top who is willing to do the artistic thing. So I started uh, when I first got the money and for this first time ever had, you know, sort of a flux of cash and decided I was going to basically tackle my health the same way that I think I do work, which was at some point I realized that I had like eight healing appointments in a week, every week. And I was so exhausted by it. And I, (laughs) I realized basically that I was healing the same way that I got sick, um, that I was just doing and doing and doing thinking and, and realized too, that at some point, again, it's sort of that model of thinking like, I was outsourcing my healing to other people. I was like, everyone else can fix me. I'm trying to find all the people who can fix me and realizing that the like root of it was that I was sick and I probably had my own healing stuff. And so like a lot of other sort of spiritual philosophical leaning people that I'm friends with, I think we have a tendency to do the like self-help, read every book, attend every class, drop $10,000 on coaching, you know, drop 20,000 on a retreat, like do all these things. But at the end of the day, like on quite honestly, like I'm doing right now, what I think is actually the only thing that is the right answer, at least for me, which Mm -hmm. is to fully stop. Because I just realized at some point that, um, any, like until I actually heal some sort of underlying wound that says that I have to constantly be doing in order to survive, uh, whether that's it, like you know, like you're saying, it, I do a great job of looking like I'm healing by basically <laughs> it, by doing all the things that like are a checklist of stuff that you should be doing if you're healing, like therapy and, you know, massage and um, body work of all sorts and, you know, breath work and whatever it is and classes and I don't know, um, Al Anon meetings or something. Like I can do all those things, but really, I started realizing, yeah, not just that I was outsourcing, but yeah, it was taking my autonomy and my own empowerment away. And because it sort of put me into a place of like desperation. And I think a lot of people who deal with chronic illness get to this place where they think, you know, like, oh my God, like I, you know, for me, here's a practical example. I, I would like food is 
is a good story where like one person tells you, you can eat this. The next person tells you, you can't. The next person tells you that you should work out in the morning. The next person tells you that you should never work out in the morning. That's bad for your leptin levels. The, you know, like there's just like a never ending string string of people that have an opinion about what you should be doing in terms of healing your health. And it's so complex and so difficult to, to feel like you just don't know what the right answer is. And so you keep trying to sort of find person after person who will be the person who heals you. And as it turns out, healing is within inside you. And for me, I think I've just gotten to a place where I realized it's almost like I can't work and I can't do any healing other than literally stopping and just shutting everything down. Like today, like as of now, my life looks primarily like waking up in the morning, eating some things, going on a long walk, reading, swimming a bit maybe, and the day is over. And it sounds really lovely, but it's actually quite difficult to be in that much silence and to strip so much away. That would drive me fucking crazy. Yeah, it's it's pretty difficult. But as an ADD person, I would lose my mind if I had to spend a day describing what you just did. Yeah, that's totally fair. And I don't necessarily recommend it for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) But for me, it felt like the healing modality because, yeah, even I had friends recently, these same friends who shot my podcast trailer Mm-hmm. who like I, I went on a walk with a couple of them a few weeks ago and they told me a hard thing, which good friends do, which was uh, like, I was asking them basically to talk to me about what they thought my purpose were, was. And I feel like generally I've sort of found the why behind what I do and a lot of the sort of how I think, you know, in terms of mm-hmm. um, yeah, I make connections between things a lot and I do it for the purpose of talking about aliveness and, you know, through the lens of, nuance and complexity and paradox and those things. But I just didn't know how, like what I did, like, is it writing? Am I a a book author? Am I a speaker? Am I like, should I just go be a pastor? I have like genuinely no idea. So can we talk about this? And at the end of the talk, my friend Kyle was just like, um, Brittany, I think you've actually probably already found everything that you need to know. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you make everything into work. It doesn't matter if it's like pleasure for you. Like you could make the most fun thing into work with zero, like zero effort. Um, and so, yeah, it's sort of speaking again to this like underlying issue I'm having that like, I believe that all life is supposed to be struggle and I have to force my way through things and I have to earn my way to acceptance and I have to earn my way to success and I have to earn my way to like, everything has to be hard and I think that's a thing I learned sort of generationally, like that's how my parents operated and I'm sure that's how their parents operated. Um, and so for me, I literally, even in doing this passion work, the writing and the podcast, I have realized at such a like painfully acute place that her in acute way that, uh, unless I stop, like even that has become a task to me, it feels draining to me. And until I actually start operating in a place that feels filled in and of myself and that other people don't need to fill the wound and that I don't make, like, I just rip away basically the underlying belief that all life is suffering, like, which I think is a beautiful part of Buddhism, but like for me at the moment is not my growth edge. My growth edge is actually believing that the universe wants us to be alive. Like if, you know, Andreas Weber, who's on my podcast as part of the impetus of like, like, or the catalyst for me of 
really sort of um, thinking through this idea of aliveness. And in biology, like his whole thing is like all life trends toward more life. Like everything actually wants to be more and more alive in nature. And so until I actually like physically understand that in my body, I have to stop essentially. Um, and so I've put, I'm about to probably go on a bit of a hiatus, if not a full break from my podcast. And I've been taking a break from my writing for a while, which is, as you know, like you, if you, you know that if you've been doing something you really care about in the world, it's even more difficult to actually put it down. It's pretty yeah. scary actually. Um, but yeah, that's, I don't know. It's I mean, a long I, way of saying that was the answer for me. I mean, my first break from doing this show, it, it, the month when I didn't record a single interview was after, you know, 13 years was last month, last in June, oh, just the past yeah. month. And I didn't realize that until I went on the vacation and I was like, oh my God. I literally have not taken a break since we started the show. Yeah. Um, That's a long time, friend. There's something you said, I think, that really struck me. Um, There are two things, right? You mentioned this idea of energetically, you know, things that drain you energetically or things that fill Mm -hmm. you up energetically. And then the idea that, you know, good friends will tell you hard things. So yeah. This is something that I have thought a lot about over the the past couple of months um, because, you know, so often what, you know, the things that we turn to to heal do is they make us feel good. Yeah. But they aren't necessarily good for us. Yeah. And I, you know, my my mentor, Greg, rode my ass when we worked together. I mean, there were days when he, like, pushed me to the point of, like, you know, me wanting to hit him in the face. Um, And it took me a long time to realize that often – what you want to hear feels good, but what you need to hear is actually good for you. And yeah. um, I'm just curious, you know, based on that, because I think that so often people will take that idea of, oh, this is energetically draining or this is, you know, filling you up energetically. And then anything that doesn't make them feel good, yeah, they will discount the value of. And yeah. to your point, like you said, it's only yeah, – this is an important know, no, question. Nobody yeah. who doesn't give a shit will tell you the things – that you don't necessarily want to hear about are good for you. Your parents will do that. Right. Your close friends will do that. And, you know, it, I was just talking to my friend, Sam Dogan, and I remember, you know, we, you know, we both started our blogs at the same time. And, you know, I brought up an article that he wrote that pissed me off years ago. And I remember this was like, <laughs> I thought Sam was kind of a dick at that time is, is my opinion. And he knew instantly what I was talking about. And I told him, I said, Sam, you know what? I said, I'm not pissed off now because I didn't have the emotional maturity to then to realize the reason that actually pissed me off was because you probably pointed out something that had a grain of truth to it and I didn't want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you make of that? I mean, how do you, you know, speaking of duality, you you have this thing that is quote unquote energetically fills you up, but I don't necessarily think that means that it makes you feel good. Life is full of what ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah, no, I, yeah. And it's, um, I'm still learning how to, how to articulate this well, but actually my, my interview with Andreas Weber does a good job of sort of digging into this with him where, um, we've both sort of realized through different means that, um, it's not just like a hedonistic, do whatever you want. Um, pleasure is the height of all experience. It's, um, first of all, I think I love what he has to say, which is that, you know, it's not aliveness at the expense of others' aliveness. So we always are in context of community. So if my aliveness means that uh, community becomes less alive, and and I use community very liberally in my own life. So that's literally the land outside my door, under my feet. It's, you know, the cat that lives in my house. It's my friendships. It's my dating partners. It's my work. I am in relationship with my work. If all of those things uh, aren't brought more alive by my choices then, and, you know, I don't know that it's like a hundred percent of the time, but like the goal is always aliveness of the individual and aliveness for the community. So I think it's at least a good measure to, when you're making a decision and, and considering that energetic spike, you know, it, is this impacting other people in a way that doesn't also bring them more alive? 
And I think the other part that I talk about in that interview from my perspective was just, you know, I think we're a culture that for the first time ever has a language of attachment theory and, you know, a, a lot of therapeutic language that a lot of our other, you know, previous generations didn't have. And knowing attachment theory, you know, I was sort of discussing with Andreas that often I, dating is a the sort of better like the most resonant way, I think, to speak about this, because um, it's where I think a lot of our attachment issues are most triggered. And, you know, for me, I was sort of saying, like, I often find someone, I think, that gives me that sort of energetic spike. And I think this is it. But I realize it's actually on reflection. It's a. It actually weirdly happens somewhere differently in my body. It, it is a spike, but it's a it feels sort of in my chest and it feels a bit frenetic. Um, and it, it is exciting, but I think is actually sort of my trauma wound telling me like, this is a person who's going to trigger you the same way that your parental wound wounding does. And so, um, I have learned to sort of realize in that way that it's, it's not just, is this making me feel good? It's like, for me, actually the right answers weirdly are like right under my rib cage. Like I feel sort of in my stomach, like a grounding. It feels like weighted, but in a, in, I don't know how to describe it other than just like a, a pleasant way, but not in an anxiety. It's not, it doesn't live in like my head or my chest or my throat or something. Like it, it doesn't feel like it's buzzing. It feels like it's just solid. And so, yeah, it's, it's like a, I don't know. I mean, stimulants, maybe let's talk about coffee. Like maybe that's a good way to put it. So like when you drink certain stimulants, you know that like you're, you're spiked with energy, but it's a false sense of energy. Like it, it dips down pretty quickly. It happens. Yeah. Usually also in a different part of your body that feels pretty sort of frenetic and buzzy. But when you have like sustained energy, when you're nourished deeply by something, and I also use nourishment very liberally across everything, basically it's the food we eat. It's the work we do. It's the relationships we're in. Are we genuinely nourished? Nourishment means I'm not eating empty calories to feel like, like the number of things you have to eat if they're sort of empty calorically is a lot. The number of things, like the number of things that you have to watch and media in order to feel actually fulfilled is a stupidly endless amount of media. Like the number of relationships you have to maintain in order to feel actually nourished and sustained is a stupid amount of relationships. But when you actually like dip into the things that truly nourish you and give you real sustained energy, there's very little you need. There's so little you need. So for me, I think I've started to see it that way. Like, you know, does this truly nourish me? Is this a real, and again, real is hard to define, but like for me, again, it sort of happens in my body. I can tell, like, am I genuinely nourished by this or do I feel like I'm just finding one more thing after another, after another, after another to sustain me instead of like doing two things and feeling so deeply nourished and connected. Like I'm able to actually, and that's why I think it's so deeply connected to culturally and individually, like our energetic, like feeling of safety that like, if I actually feel safe and grounded and, um, truly connected in a way that nourishes me. Uh, my body and my nervous system are calmed. Like, you know, the right sympathetic things are, are turned on in my body, or I always forget which one is parasympathetic and which one is sympathetic, but whichever one is the correct one that sort of is the actual calming and not in fight or flight. Like that feels so differently than it does when like I'm choosing things that 
aren't actually that fulfilling to me or that sustaining or that nourishing. Mm. Wow. Um, that was poetic. I mean, it's funny because I, I've been, you know, trying to articulate my thoughts on on this uh, blog post that I'm writing titled "Why Reading Self Improvement Books Won't Improve Your Life," um, <laughs> and you kind of summed it up. I mean, you you mm. gave it to me. I realized what it is. It's empty calories. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the deal. That's why I think it's that's such a powerful. I think it's such a powerful way to put it because I think that's where we are. Like you know, part of my podcast again, like sort of the connecting everything to me is like like. Everything is the way you do one thing is to do way you do everything else. Basically, that whole phrase like it similarly happens um, across everything that happens around us and within us. So, like what's happening with the land is happening inside of me. What's happening in culture and health fields is happening inside of me, and vice versa. What's happening me is happening elsewhere. And so, like if our soils being depleted in the world because it's actually becoming dust, essentially, uh, then like the food I eat is actually low in nourishment and then I eat it and I have to eat so much more of it in order to be like actually filled. And it's just like a never ending, like though that empty calorie thing is a metaphor. I think that applies to basically everything that we're doing right now. And I think our deepest healing really as a culture and as individuals right now is to look at the things that are actually deeply nourishing us and to choose those. Wow. Yeah. I I mean, it's, it's funny because I, when you were talking about this, it's right as you were talking about coffee, I was like, I, you know, right as you said that, I was like, wow, I just reached for my coffee to take a sip of this. <laughs> um, but it got me thinking, there was, a, there was a review we got on iTunes. And to this day, this was my what I considered the most complimentary iTunes review I've ever received. Mm. And it was a person who said, there's no feel-good fluff on this show. And I was like, mm. that to me was like the ultimate compliment. And that was my, my whole sort of idea is like no bullshit personal development. And I, I you know, it, it takes me back to the part of the conversation where we were talking about one person will tell you eat this. Another person will say eat that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, this is something I've been harping on lately a lot uh, because I – when we were doing the interviews for my first book, there's something I said – this phrase I probably said a hundred times in an interview. I said we could have just as easily called the book Everybody is Full of Shit because that's what I said. <laughs> um, I just said it in a really diplomatic way. And it made me think, you know, so my next idea for a book was basically, you know, a book titled Everybody is Full of Shit, Including Me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and this is something I will often say. In fact, I almost always preface it when I sit down with people who, you know, are I'm teaching in a class. Um, I will tell them, first off, first thing I want you to know is to consider the possibility that everything I'm telling you is bullshit because it right. might be for you. And yeah. that, I think, is where we – you know, kind of missed the boat uh, in our culture is that we take guidance as go- we treat guidance as gospel. Yeah. I also think that the sort of other side of that coin is that a lot of people, a lot of people are doing so. I mean, I part of my sort of story between high school and now, I guess, is that I spent um, basically 20, nearly 20 years in branding and marketing. And you know, I, I, before I have this whole story about how I actually like shut down, uh, like online coaching, like marketing coaching business in order to finally like start the work I wanted to be doing, which is what I'm doing now. But part of that, uh, you know, running that marketing coaching business, is it like the number of people who come to me to be like, how, like, I hate marketing. I hate it. Like what, why I don't like social media. I don't like any of these things, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I think it's, um, 
you know, there are parts of those, those are tools and all tools can be used for good or for bad, basically, you know, um, or better or worse or whatever the case may be. And, you know, um, so it's, it's like not to shit on any of those things in particular or advice in general, but it's that so many people feel like they have to be producing all the time that there's, and it's, again, it's like, it's empty calories that we just keep also putting out in the world and so, yeah, I think 95% of it or something, I'm just throwing a, a random number on there, but like a, a huge majority of it is actually bullshit because we think <laughs> like we we're just saying things because we think we're supposed to say things. But the, I can, I tell you again, like as a marketing person, I think you could do one thing every six months. And if you were actually deeply nourished by it, you felt like it was nourishing to other people. You were connected to it in a way that was profound. It was like, it was like one of El Luna's musts, like where if you had to say it, like you couldn't, you know, she has that description in the, your interview with her where she talks about the like flow through a pipe where like when she first started like actually painting that like it was like some, you know, someone had like she had spent most of her life sort of with the top of that pipe with water gushing through it, just sort of constricted. And that's what we learn as children and like later and as adults to just like constrict that flow more and more it's too scary not to like the, the flow of energy is, can be sort of overwhelming, but once she did, she just couldn't stop painting and not being able to stop doing something. Cause you're so compelled by it is an, an incredibly different energy than, Ugh, I have to post three times today to Instagram. And so I'm just going to make up some bullshit that I think is important. And I'm going to say that, and I'm not saying that like all of it's black or white, of course, as someone who's deeply, like deeply cares about nuance, like and complexity, but so much of it is that we feel like we have to, rather than I, if I don't say that, like, I can't stop from saying the things that I actually care about. And so, yeah, I think the other part of it is just, we just feel like we have to, like, we've been told some sort of shit story about how we're supposed to work, how often we're supposed to work, how much we're supposed to produce, how, what kinds of things we're supposed to produce, what we're supposed to say when we produce those things. And, um, most of it is just because we think we're supposed to, instead of like, have I actually taken the time to deeply consider what I want to be doing? And beyond that, like what I can't stop doing, like, and that to me is the like feeling of aliveness. Like, it doesn't mean that I'm walking around all the time, just like constantly in like this energetic feeling of just like water flowing through me. But the more you practice it, I think the more that that becomes real and you know, it's sometimes it's strong and other times it's not because nature works in cycles. Like we don't have to be producing and flowing at all times. That's a whole different sort of tangent of that. But yeah, I think the more that we're actually deeply connected to ourselves and um, the stuff that compels us, it's like, we can't stop the flow. And that's just so, so different than what most content that we're reading or advice that we're given these days is. Hmm. I think that is I really sort of fitting into what has been a really interesting conversation because I feel like you and I could probably talk for five hours about this. Oh, I'm sure. Um, so I want to finish with my final question, which I know you've heard me ask. Uh, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, like I said earlier, I think a lot of this is the, um, you know, when you feel like you're falling, the people who are willing to dive when they feel like they're falling uh, sort of reiterate that quote from L, but yeah, I think like, you know, the people who have been willing to do the scary thing in order to, 
um, do what matters because failure, yeah, failure feels different when, I mean, it's definitely more scary and vulnerable when you do the thing that's scary or vulnerable, you know, when you do the thing that matters to you, but the people who have actually confronted their own, uh, darkness, I actually, this morning I was reading Robert McFarlane. He has a book called Underland. Um, and there's this quote where he says, uh, what these, he, he'd been talking about sort of all these narratives of people who were like digging underground and finding like things that were under the earth basically, and stuff that's in the darkness. And he says, uh, what these narratives all suggest is something seemingly paradoxical that darkness might be a medium of vision and that dissent may be a movement toward revelation rather than deprivation. And so I think for me, it's the people who are, um, who actually understand some level of like life is actually through, um, through an experience of death and the people who are willing to do that, like you said, in the hero's journey, like over and over and over again, and to stand in their own integrity without like, really it's, you know, again, sort of the, a different way to say it from what we've been talking about is that like, you've got nothing to prove when you realize that all of life is a gift. The whole thing, nature operates on gift. Um, you've been given gifts to give. And when you don't give those, you're sort of constricting that flow. And, you know, that all things that you need are gifted toward you also. And when you realize that you live in a universe that's built on gift you don't really have anything to prove. You get to just live a life of aliveness and joy and connection and peace that's very different than if you just keep scrambling and crawling your way to to avoid the pain and darkness and shadow side of all the things that make you feel like you have absolutely anything to prove in this world. Wow. Wow. Okay. I'll, um, I think that is such a beautiful way to finish our conversation. Um, Probably one of my favorite answers I've ever heard to that question. Wow. What an honor. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your insights and your wisdom with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, your work, and everything that you're up to? Yeah. So like I said, I'm putting a large stop to a lot of things I'm doing right now, but I hope that others will still know that when I feel resourced and connected enough to like actually come out of my own darkness in order to give what I'm here to give more of, uh, they will already start following me. So they know that I'll come out when I'm ready, but, um, my website is this plus that.com and, uh, my podcast is this plus that. And it's all, um, I do a lot of writing and yeah, the podcast is sort of at its core about connecting the seemingly unconnectable and why that's so important. And yeah, so I make weird connections between weird things and talk to other people who have sort of hopped across disciplines or who are holding complexity in their own lives so that we can all sort of practice holding complexity and nuance and paradox in ourselves. So, yeah. And then I guess on, I mean, I'm on social media very lightly currently, but this plus that pod on Instagram and Twitter primarily and YouTube also, I've got a YouTube channel with video. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.